The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This. It is always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. If you're new, I hope you find a voice here of patriotism, of liberty, of ownership. A Muslim that believes that we have been asleep too long. We need to reform the ideas that are causing our country insecurity, that are disrupting our way of life, that are coming from radical elements of an ideology of Islamism that we need to defeat. So here, if you're new or if you're a listener from before, I hope every week I bring you those issues that just are not covered in the layers and the depth that we need to cover them. Because I think, as you see, attack after attack. We talked about Manchester a few weeks ago and last week. And this week we saw the London Bridge attacks four dead and many more injured with another, another episode of vehicular jihad. The viruses, these are known wolves we're finding, the viruses of radical Islam, a political, theopolitical Islamism continue to infiltrate the minds of susceptible Muslims. And they are only the tip of the iceberg, just the tip of the iceberg. Don't let the deniers Don't let the minimalists tell you this is less still than the crime problems. They'll give you statistics. More people were killed in Chicago last weekend by crime than by terrorism. Why isn't that relevant? Because as a Muslim, I'm telling you, Islam is in that time in history that Christianity was. Islam is in that time in history that led to the Reformation, that led to the need to push back against theocracy, to push back against the tyrants that were establishing religion, and ultimately it led to the American and French Revolution. That's where Islam is today. It's only 1,438 years old. It took the West 1,700 plus years to get through its Reformation, and liberal democracies, if you will. So, 
You may say, well, what does that have to do with terrorism? I just, I don't care. Let the Muslims figure that out on their own. Well, listen, Islamism, political Islam, is the belief that the state's identity, the party platforms, need to be based in Sharia law. That movement splinters into freelancers that are militants like ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Boko Haram, etc. So Islamism, be it Sunni or Shia, is a militant ideology at its extreme. But the vast majority of these Islamists are nonviolent. And their numbers are huge. They win elections. They can win elections. I don't believe they're a majority, but they can win elections in Muslim-majority countries. So this is the Cold War on steroids. Many of the elections after the Arab Awakening in which dictators were finally being toppled, as we saw in Tunisia and Egypt and Libya and elsewhere, in Tunisia and Nahda, the Islamist party that is a theopolitical party that believes the platform should be based in Sharia law, in their interpretation of Sharia law, that party won. It won after a runoff. It had 25 to 30% of the vote, but it won an election. So globally, in Egypt, the Islamists got 30, 35% of the vote, but then defeated the military regime of Mubarak, represented by Suleiman, who lost the election to the Muslim Brotherhood. But that's not a surprise. You had two different forms of fascism up on the ballot. The theological fascism, one, because that was a flavor that the people had not tasted in a while. And I think as we see in Iran with the Green Revolution, after they taste the flavor of militant theocratic Islamism, they will never want that again. Now the question is, how will they see the ushering out of the Islamists of Iran? In Egypt, the Islamists have been ushered out, unfortunately, through a coup. I don't think they needed to do it that way, and it delegitimized the anti-Islamist movement, but they did it through a coup. In Tunisia, they did it through coalitions and through a election in December 31st, 2014 that thankfully saw the defeat of Al-Nahda. But that's not an undone story. That will continue to evolve. And ISIS sees Tunisia as one of its greatest existential threats. So at the end of the day, Islamism is a political movement that seeks to win in Muslim-majority countries and seeks to evangelize its movement globally, to grab Muslim organizations and movements and leaders and tell them that your identity politically is as a Muslim. Your state's identity is not as an American or a Brit or an Egyptian. It is as a Muslim. Your party is as a Muslim. The Muslim Brotherhood or Ikhwan and Muslimin, that's their oxygen. So, that movement seeks to, through the guise of soft peddling of religion, which they call da'wah or educating people about Islam, which is 
part of every religion is educating people and many like the Christians will do missionary work in a very honorable and moral way but for many Muslims that's the same they will educate and do it in an honorable and moral way for Islamists it's a political evangelism to spread their party no different than the communist socialist or conservative party may do they want to spread their ideas, and as they gain followers, useful idiots, supporters, Muslim and non-Muslim, they will be better able to spread their evangelism of their faith under the guise of national harmony under their party platform. So Islamism is a forward, offensive, aggressive, not defensive, offensive ideology. That's a movement that seeks to destroy, ultimately, in the long term, the countries that are free. They divide the world into the land of Islam and the land of war. So Muslims in the land of war will figure out a way to weaken that land. And I'm using the term evangelical deliberately to connect Islamism with not evangelical Protestantism, but with political global movements of supremacy and autocracy and theocracy. And ultimately, and this is why it's important to understand that Islamism, ISIS, is part of it. Now, the nonviolent Islamists are very upset and infurious. You saw 130 imams refuse to bury the dead terrorists in Manchester and the London Bridge vehicular jihad. And people applauded and said, thank you, thank you for being moderate and fighting them. Well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough for me. Them not burying their dead proves they just didn't like the means. But it doesn't absolve these imams of their complicity in radicalizing our community. And their complicity is such that where are the counterterrorism think tanks of Muslims other than Quilliam in London? Where are the counterterrorism think tanks and imams speaking against not only terrorism, which is a tactic, but the underbelly ideology of political Islam and its theopolitical movement? We saw that these London Bridge Islamists, militant Islamists, were radicalized by an imam, Jibreel. They had been known. Jibreel, by the way, is where? In Dearborn, Michigan. Had been in and out of contact because of his recruitment of ISIS operatives, praising the value and the honor of serving the jihad in Syria. And he was radicalizing many across the planet, it seems. And yet continues to operate. Look at his videos. Many of his videos are still on YouTube. So it's not just radicalized online. This is an ideology. And I met with the Saudis before, and they'll deny that Al-Qaeda's have anything to do with them, and they're with us in this war now against ISIS. But their Wahhabi ideology teaches hate for the Jews, teaches that Christians are no longer people of the book, that God permitted intermarriage and other aspects that moderate Muslims, normal Muslims believe. No, the Wahhabis believe that they're polytheists because of the Trinity and other things, which is absurd.
we can get into that in other episodes, but it's important to realize that this is a global ideology that we're fighting, and the militant version is just the loss of control aspect of the core cancer, which is Islamism. So reorient. Join me in countering violent Islamism, not violent extremism. This is Zudi Jasser, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for being here. We were talking about, at the, at the end of the day, it seems like almost every day there's a major attack. We saw huge attacks in Kabul, in Baghdad. Some of the largest attacks we've seen. Why are these happening? Number one is these are recruitment tools for ISIS. Believe it or not, the more violence and mayhem and genocidal acts that ISIS is able to commit, the more they recruit jihadists as being the game in town for the militants. The brand of end of times, end of days scenario. So, this week we saw that the ISIS militants were able to commit an attack, an atrocity in Tehran. Tehran. One would have thought that they would have done that sooner because ISIS at its headquarters in Raqqa is primarily fighting the Assad regime. Now they're also fighting elements of the Free Syria Army depending on the day of the week. But the bottom line is, is the primary enemy is Assad regime, who's working closely. Remember, the Assad regime are Alawite sect, a splinter sect of the Shia community. Thus, they've had a significant alliance, if not become a client state of Iran. So this is clearly a, a, a they are one of the front lines of the Sunni Shia battle. No different than the front lines we saw in the 80s and the millions that died in the Iran-Iraq war between Saddam and the Khomeini's regime. Now this one is ISIS versus the Assad Hezbollah Iranian network of radical Islamists on the Shia side. So why did it take so long? Well, Iran, if you're an Arab Sunni, an Arab-speaking Sunni radical, you stick out like a sore thumb in Iran where they're Farsi-speaking Persians. So 
how would they get in there? Now, clearly, there's an overlap country, which is Iran, which is 60% Shia, Arab-speaking Shia, not Farsi-speaking. There's obviously now, since the Obama administration pulled out, uh, the Iranian government has become far more closer to the axis of the Iran and the Shia crescent, if you will, that extends now from Iran to Iraq to Syria to Lebanon. But still, how how could ISIS attack Tehran? Tehran is not a free nation. It's one of the most imprisoned countries in the world. So how would a radical ISIS Islamist get in there? Well, I think, and this is a guess, but we'll see what comes out. But remember, the Assad regime is Arabic Shia. The Shia in Iraq are all Arabic speaking. So it'd be easy to infiltrate with the mess happening in Syria and Iraq for ISIS to infiltrate either the Assad military or the Iranian military and the Shia wing of that and then work their way into Iran. These attacks were symbolic. They attacked the tomb of Khomeini, Ayatollah Khomeini, who led the 79 revolution, and they attacked the parliament in Iran. Twelve dead, scores more injured. And what are they trying to do? Number one, listen, in the last month, what has happened? You saw in the last few months, punctuated by President Trump's speech in Saudi Arabia, in which he brought the Gulf states back with Egypt, with Jordan. The Sunni alliance of the 20th century has come back to focus again on ending ISIS. That is a death knell for ISIS. So they want to see that alliance broken up because now all of a sudden the coalition that was before France and the UK and America was somewhat imbalanced because of Russian support of Syria. But now bring in the coalition Sunni countries and you have a significantly more effective coalition against ISIS with resolve. Now, I'm not very happy with that because I think the Saudis are the founding fathers of ISIS ideologically, but in the short term, we need to decimate ISIS, so let's get that done. So ISIS needs to see that torn apart. How do they do that? They triangulate the war. They bring the region back to its guttural, visceral wars of Sunni versus Shia. And they do that by dropping bombs and inflaming the visceral passions of the Shia militants, not in Iraq or in northern Iraq, but in Tehran. And sure enough, what's the press release out this week within a few hours? And by the way, press release out of Iran, but before I tell you that, you know that this was a sophisticated operation into Tehran. Why? Because Amak, the ISIS news agency, had video footage that they aired immediately within an hour after the operation was completed, showing the video of the operation being completed in which the suicide bomber was saying, this is for ISIS, for Syria, and we are not leaving, we are not going anywhere. Citing and quoting Adnani. Adnani, who was killed in Raqqa, who was the information operator, operations lead spokesperson for ISIS. So, 
they're running a pretty sophisticated operation that they can get a video uploaded and presented within hours of its completion of the attack in Tehran where they were able to infiltrate. So it shows their sophistication. The completion will recruit jihadists to the Sunni militants who say, wow, they're able to take it to the belly of the apostates in the Shia community, and they are killing them and winning this war. Third, the Sunni alliance now. What is the Iranian press release that's released? Within hours, the Tehran regime releases a statement that they blame the Saudis, that the Saudis perpetrated this. They're not blaming ISIS, they're blaming the Saudis. Wow. Exactly what ISIS wants. Exactly what ISIS wants. And I doubt, I doubt, it is almost unintelligible for a Gulf state, the leading Gulf state of Saudi Arabia, after a visit of the president to change their strategy. This is intentional propaganda from the Iranian regime because they are feeling isolated, because they want to speak out against this new alliance that President Trump openly in his speech said was being done to isolate Iran. And now ISIS hands up a Sunni-Shia war that they'd like to start. And sure enough, Iran is all too willing to act predictably and blame Saudi Arabia. And thus you have the triangulation that will then begin to take the pressure off of ISIS to inflame the region, create disruption. And as the Sunni-Shia axis begins to fight, ISIS can then recalibrate, reopen some of the channels of economics it was losing in northern Iraq and Syria. and build its caliphate from the ashes of the Sunni-Shia conflict. This is the reality of what was intended. I think it's important that you understand this. So in the short term, strategically, we need to decimate ISIS. In the long term, I hope you're beginning to realize that neither of these sides, Sunni or Shia, Islamists are on our side. They will continue to back and forth, vie for power. They both hate us. They both hate Jews. They're racists. They are bigots. They are misogynists on either side. But... At the end of the day, we don't have a strategy yet. We have a lot of time to make up. So, yes, we'll work with the Jordanian government, the, the Saudi government, the Egyptian government. But in the long term, I hope we begin to work with the people to build civil society. And, and just like they, as I mentioned in the last segment, evangelize Islamism and Wahhabism, we need to start evangelizing liberty and freedom, secular law, universal declaration of human rights and those beliefs. This is Zudi Jaster, and I'll be right back on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Don't miss Pat and Stu. Wow. We're going to get another slew of, Pat, Stu, why is Jeffy so nasty to you guys? <laughs> Fact is, we don't know. So you might as well not even ask because we don't know I wish we what knew. we've done to bring this on. I wish we knew. I guess I it's too. just, you know, he's just a bad person. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's the only conclusion you can reach. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. Thank you for being here this week. So much to talk about. And, and I hope you're getting a perspective of an American patriot, a Muslim, that whose family escaped the Middle East, escaped Syria to seek political refuge and freedom here in America in the late 60s. But I've continued, and I think those of you who've been following me or know me know that while I've been doing this work my whole life, I've, I've talked about it in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, I put it into an operational state after 9-11. I operationalized it into the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, an organization based with a mission to separate mosque and state. And... At the end of the day, I think, obviously, it's quite a task I've chosen, but I'm not alone. Many Muslims have chosen this. You just don't know their names. You will learn their names. The war will not be won without the anti-Islamists, devout Muslims, stepping up, getting their names heard, getting a platform, and defeating the political platform of theopolitical Islam. What I... And, and we'll talk about all of these things uh, segment to segment, week to week. One of the things I want to talk to you about this week is there's been huge shifts in geopolitics in just a few days in the Gulf organizational state of what used to be called the GCC, which is the Gulf Cooperation Conference. And now all of a sudden, together, the Saudis led an ousting of Qatar, Qatar, Q-A-T-A-R, Qatar. Small little country decided for some reason, its royal family decided years ago when it took in Yusuf Sheikh Qardawi, and I believe that Qatar truly took this guy in and has been wedded to the Muslim Brotherhood because ideologically the royal family there are Islamists. They are true believers. So when the Qatari monarchy takes in Qardawi, I think back in 61, he's lived there in exile. And then comes the media revolution and Al Jazeera is sprouted. And within a short time, they filled a space. The, the Middle East had no significant regional media. Why? Well, when you have dictators with state-run media, it's going to be hard for them to come together, each with different fascist platforms, to form one media. Well, the Qatari family, Khalifa, I believe they're called. I might be wrong. Uh, I have to 
refresh my memory, but bottom line is the Qatari royal family decides to invest billions in Al Jazeera. Employees, Islamists that were all, many of whom were pushed out of Egypt, Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers, and it launches and becomes basically, as some naively call it, the CNN of the Middle East. And I say naively because no matter what you think of CNN, Al Jazeera is an Islamist ideological network. It's not about democracy. It's not about freedom. Yes, they have a little more open discussion than you do on other media networks. And they have facilitated some of the fervor of the Arab awakening, if you will. But it's been pro-Islamist. Al Jazeera has interviewed me a number of times, but not consistently. In fact, I might post this on my Facebook page, but they interviewed me two months ago for a profile that they were doing on their 30-minute program that profiles leading activists, intellectuals, etc., week to week. It was live to tape. I don't believe I said anything that controversial that would be obviously forbidden by their royal theocrats. But I never heard back. It was never aired. Has that ever happened before for their program? Talk to Al Jazeera, it's called, on Sunday nights. I'll post, I taped the interview, my side of it. You can't hear what the anchor was telling me. You can watch and listen to what I said. Still haven't found out from them. They won't respond anymore as to why they didn't air the segment that they paid for studio time for, etc. Shows you that Al Jazeera has an agenda, a clear Islamist agenda. Qatar has been in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood completely. And in fact, many of those that escaped multiple times over the last decades have ended up in Qatar. As a result, the rest of the Gulf states have sort of turned a blind eye to that fealty for the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood that Qatar has had. And in some ways, it sort of made sense to the rest of us as to why they'd turn a blind eye, because... They also are fueling a form of Islamism, not the populist Islamism of the Muslim Brotherhood, but the Salafism or the more fundamentalist Islamism of the Wahhabis coming out of Saudi Arabia. So we all thought, well, you know, Pepsi, Coke, all the same type of flavors of soda, of Islamist soda. But now all of a sudden, President Trump goes to Saudi Arabia they probably realize that the Trump administration is beginning and on the edge of calling the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization. And the time is ripe to isolate not only Iran, but isolate Qatar. And sure enough, this week, Al Jazeera's offices are kicked out of Jordan, kicked out of Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Al Jazeera now being the media arm of Qatar. We see diplomatic relations cut off Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and many of the Gulf states with Qatar, who are now isolated. Qatar already had established some channels with Iran, with billions of dollars flowing to Iran. The complicating factor in this is going to be the American base, our base that's there. What is our relationship? That's why the Pentagon released 
a very bizarre statement, basically saying that things will not change for us. We don't know what's happening on the other side of the streets here in Washington. I think this is good. Qatar is being told to end all funding of extremism globally in its contact with the Muslim Brotherhood or risk isolation, which is what has happened. So not only were they put on warning, they were isolated. Iran now may end up trying to fracture that Sunni divide and bring the Sunni Qataris into their fold, or they may also weaken as a result of the ISIS attack upon their capital and say, hold on a sec, we don't want anything to do with this. I doubt that latter part. The Qataris, though, if they seek to get their bed with the Iranians fully and abandon the GCC, that doesn't bode well for them. And I don't think they'll last long. There's already been some signs that the Qatari media, Al Jazeera, all of a sudden flipped its coverage to El Arabiya coverage. El Arabiya being the Saudi media arm. And it did that when the king, King Khalifa, was speaking. And it's like, whoa. There's all over the web and Twitter commentary about, was that a coup in the making? Did they lose control of their own media arm? And then you may see the in place, uh, putting in place a Saudi-friendly regime, much like Bahrain much like what's happening in Yemen with the civil war that's arising there. So understand Qatar. There's a website called Stop Qatar Now that lays out all of their global evangelism of Islamism and its attempt to spread radicalization. Make no mistake, the militarization, the radicalization of the Islamists in Syria is due in large part, is due in large part to Qatar and Turkey and Saudi Arabia. And now, so no surprise this week, Turkey came to the defense of Qatar, repudiating the Saudi isolation of Qatar and saying that they will stand with Qatar, which, by the way, is also bizarre considering Turkey recently as it evolved from pure Islamism and understanding and understanding the cult of Erdogan has now begun to work more closely with Russia. Well, Russia is working closer, closely with Iran and maybe now with Qatar. So that might bring us full circle, where you see a circle of axis of powers of Turkey, Russia, Syria, Qatar, and Iran. And the other side, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, and America, and the West. In some ways, we're going to get deeper with boots dug more deeply into the ground, which might bring some stability, or there might be a, confl a, a conflagration somewhere that then erupts the whole thing, which is what ISIS wants. 
but ending the fueling of global Islamism by destroying and cutting off the flow out from Qatar of money, the world will be better as a result of that. So in the short term, I am happy. In the long term, I hope Saudi Arabia gets isolated too, but that's not going to be coming soon as we've sort of shored up what we're doing with Saudi Arabia. Yes, there's hypocrisy involved. In the long term, many of us will continue to speak out that the evil of Saudi Arabia's Wahhabism is just as bad as the evil of Qatar's Islamism of its Ikhwan or the Muslim Brotherhood. But in the short term, this is a good thing. Qatar is isolated. We'll see what happens next. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back with our last segment. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you for joining me week to week. You know, we're, we're building a, a coalition of people, uh, reformers, Muslims that want to change uh, who we are, and associates and colleagues and friends and patriots that believe we need to build platforms for reformers and that also want to learn and understand what the threat is so that you can begin to notice what are the signs of radicalization. The signs. The signs are not looking for the suicide belt that they might wear. Yeah, that's an obvious one, but it's often too late when that happens. The sign is not waiting for that vehicle that's all of a sudden on the sidewalk mowing down people. Yes, you should be aware of that and try to stay away. The signs are... Salafi jihadist ideology, anti-Semitism. If your mosque down the street is preaching anti-Semitism, is preaching from the pulpit a focus and obsession on the Israeli-Palestinian crisis, that's not Islamic theology. That's Islamism. That's politicization of our Muslim community. And that's step one in radicalization. If your mosque is preaching that America is the haven of bigotry against Muslims, and we are subjugated. We are victims of a country, of a West, that hates us because of conspiracy theory. A, B, C. They give you a different one every week. One's about MI6, the next one's about CIA infiltrating this and that. In the imperialism of the West, the colonialism, if you hear the words imperialism and colonialism coming from them, Mimbars, the pulpits of the mosques near your home, they're radicalizing Muslims. And how do I define radicalizing? Well, 
when I talk radicalizing, I'm not talking about militancy, that they're doing anything illegal. I don't want their mics cut off. But I want you aware that that's radicalization. So radicalization is the process by which we are push, or they are, and we by our silence, pushing Muslims down the path of separatism, hate for the West, disdain for secular democracies, desire for that utopian caliphate, the Islamic State that they believe can only give them freedom when it has Sharia law running their legal system. And a lot of those points are part of Islamic states throughout the Middle East. And that's why if you want to take the oxygen out of jihad, it will never go away as long as any form, not only the Islamic state, but any form of the Islamic state exists. So, Counter-radicalization involves and is deeply wedded to counter-Islamism, anti-Islamism, and wedded to pro-liberty, pro-secularism, pro-freedom. You can't defeat jihad as long as the oxygen of any Islamic state remains. You won't win this with bombs. You won't win it militarily. You will win it when this society... When this society gets the political will to take on Islamism and its global movement, its global da'wah to spread its theopolitical Islamism. And in this month of Ramadan, in this month of Ramadan, I call you to action. You to action. Muslims who are fasting day and all day from dawn to sunset. Look within yourselves. What are you doing for your legacy to defeat all these ideas that are radicalizing our communities? If you think that they're being radicalized simply by the internet, you're nuts. That's a tool that they finally, once they're intoxicated, they pick up and use. But they're being intoxicated in our own communities. Two, believe in conspiracy theories. To this day, I hear local Muslims, city to city, talking on their conversations that the problem is the Americans are trying to divide the Middle East and create a war. They wanted to isolate Qatar. Now, these are Muslim Brotherhood apologists that are saying this, but bottom line is, is they radicalize based on Blaming the West, blaming America, fueling the concept that somehow we are all victims of the West. That we are but being stopped, not by the tyrannical dictators of Assad, King Salman, the Khamenei's and others. No, not by those truly genocidal dictators. No, by free societies in the West that have all of the risks and benefits of a free society with media and free thinking. No, it's always the West's fault. It's always Israel's fault. And sure enough, their anti-Semitism will bring in blaming the Jews. So my call to action is to ask that your sermons not be about our plight, 
from the West, but by asking the questions of your followers and the followers of Muslims near you. Why aren't more Muslims signing up for the British military than for the jihad? The numbers are the same. It's something like 500 to 1,000 going to the jihad and the same number going into the British military. That is, that is horrific. It should be 99% to 1. But the problem, therefore, is not only the high number going to jihad, but the low number going in to fight for their own militaries. Excuse me, you're sucking the oxygen and the freedom to fast and be more free in this country than anywhere else in the world. And why aren't your children lining up to serve in the militaries of the countries that keep you free? That's what our sermons should be about. Thanking these countries for the liberty, for the defense, for the for aiding in the destruction of the tumors of cancers like ISIS. Why are the sons and daughters in the West being attacked by our faith's tumors? It's not my Islam, but we have to admit it's the Islam of Saudi Arabia and Iran that is creating these militants and of Egypt and of Qatar. These are countries dominated by our religion. Now, it's an oppressive interpretation of our religion, but where are the Muslims speaking out to reform and bring it into the 21st century? That was what I hope now as we enter our 12th, 13th, 14th day of fasting this month, we begin to look within. What are the steps to reform? Go to my website at takebackislam.com, takebackislam.com. Join us in this newsletter that we'll be putting, I will be putting out to begin to be part of the team, the coalition that will fight back against not only radical, but theological, theopolitical Islamism. This is your call to action. Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-G-I Jasser, J-A-S-S-E-R. Help me educate the world. Educate your friends. Listen to this podcast week to week. Follow me on Twitter. Read the writings that we post at AIFdemocracy.org. We can win this war, but we need to be methodical. We need to be strategic. And we need to know where we're headed. Not just the whack-a-mole of one week to week, individual to individual, group to group that we destroy from Al-Qaeda to ISIS. No, they're going to keep coming back unless we focus on the ideology and advance the ideology of freedom. Thank you. God bless you for listening. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.